As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM broadcasting of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. You can check us out on Twitter at 80 Radio CFRU, CFRU.ca. We have a very special episode today. We are interviewing Mark Oxer, disc golf course designer, disc golf pro, author, and also Catan Championship Monopoly Championship, Tournament Pro Player Extraordinaire. Very special interview. We're going to get into it right in a second. Stay tuned. Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. This is uh, Joel on Android's Dungeon with host Jack and special guest Mark Oxer. Is that how you pronounce it? Oxer, yeah. Oxer. Uh, Mark's hailing from Alberta somewhere where it's very, very cold. <laughs> and uh, Mark's got a, lo- a couple claims to fame. Uh, as far as board games go, he's uh, a renowned Catan player and a renowned Monopoly player. And that's just what we know about. <laughs> um, and then on top of that, he is uh Got the claim to fame of being the representative of Disc Golf Park, which is sort of a, a disc mania project. Uh, and he represents Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba here in Canada as far as uh, building and designing courses for disc golf, which, as yep. you know, is a great love of mine. Uh, ever since Jack introduced it to me in, I want to say, 2018. Does that sound right, Jack? I'm trying to figure it out right now because I was just reading Mark's uh, biography and I was thinking like I first was introduced to disc golf in 2013 and then I <laughs> and then it was just one of these random things where it's it's just kind of like you're you're out there and oh does somebody want to throw some discs like a frisbee no yeah whatever like a frisbee and then <laughs> grad, gradually you know some people just click into it and they really love it but uh, I think I, I'm trying to remember what it was because I, I know there was a big mob of Camus people wandering around at the time, and I think everyone thought it was a big gimmick. Now who's laughing? <laughs> you took me out to the Arboretum, I remember that, and I remember it being insanely difficult because the Arboretum is still... I think I'm in the league finals for the Arboretum this Saturday, and I would not like wish it on anybody. Like If I get three over par at that course, I'm happy. It's probably the second hardest course I've ever played. Mark, have you played the Arboretum? I haven't, no. Have you done? Have you got any experience out in Ontario as far as courses go? The furthest I've been into Ontario is actually playing on a tournament that uh, Jeff and Kara organized, the Northern Ontario Championships, which was in Thunder Bay. Okay, so you came across the top. Yep. And they had the Provincials up there this year, but I can't say I've ever played up there. It's a bit of a trek for me, and I get, this is really only my my first year playing competitively and last year and the year before was just messing around. And I think Jack, even though he introduced me to disc golf, um, probably plays five, six times a year. It used to be more, but now it's not. I, I just, yeah, good luck. 
he he got me onto it and I left to say that I <laughs> I took off and I played daily. I don't think nice. I've missed a day of disc golf in, in ages. And when I don't play, I just, you know, I get the itch, you know. Yeah. It's, it's rough. But uh we're we're getting a, uh, off on a tangent here. Let's start with uh, just board games in general. Let's ask the question we have all we always ask our guests, and that's what have you been playing lately? So most recently, I've been playing Near and Far by uh, Red Raven Games, and uh, I got the expansion for it as well, the Amber Mines expansion for it, and that's uh, that's been the main sort of like I would say tabletop style game that I've been playing. Um, I enjoy it because my wife and I can play it together. Um, we can play it together cooperatively. Two player? Pardon? You mostly play two-player? Yeah, so I have played multiplayer. Like, I learned the game multiplayer. Uh, my buddy introduced it to me a couple of years ago. And so we just played a two-player game when he introduced it to me. And then since then, we've primarily probably played four players when we play, like, a group of people together. And then... Um, but like my wife and I playing together, it's just obviously the two of us. Uh, with the Amber Mines expansion, though, you're able to play. Uh, it's got a really, it's got a couple of unique pieces to it that doesn't come with the the base set of it, and so I really like that. But you can well, play. But, hold on, Mark. Sorry, sorry. I, you're you're way ahead of our our feeble minded uh, co-host <laughs> and me. What is near and far? Describe it. Yeah. Okay. So so yeah, near and far is I I would man. I, Try to, when I've tried to explain when I've tried to explain it to others, the way I kind of explain it is that it's like a a Dungeons and Dragons sort of style of game. Oh. Pardon? I was making a joke. <laughs> so it's a, yeah, it's a Dungeons and Dragons style of game, but it's done so in a way that doesn't feel Dungeons and Dragonsy, and that it allows for I would say a wider population base to engage in the game. So the, the game consists of two maps. So you have a map uh, that's a town, and your characters start in town. And in town, you can do things like recruit more people to be part of your party. Uh, you can go to the mine and earn money and rubies. Uh, you can go to the... Would that be considered house. the near for near and far? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, so, well, it's... Uh, there's a, there's a, the, I think the original game that was put out by Red Raven was called Above and Beyond. Uh, above and below, maybe. Sorry, above and yes. below. I think was yes. yes. And then, so this is the second one they've put out, and it's called Near and Far. And so, yeah, the the near would be the town, and then the far is the second portion of the map. And so, it's actually two physical different pieces. So the top portion is more of like your board game, board style map. Like it's an actual kind of that cardboardy hard material. The map where your characters, when they leave town and they go into, I'm going to say the wilderness, um, but it's not just a wilderness. It can be a desert or whatever it happens to be. Uh, they go and they explore those different areas and you you complete quests. And upon completing quests, you earn money and food and different rewards for your character and, and that kind of thing. So... Like yeah, it's, I see, like a book and that sort of thing. Like the coins, also really nice. But is this a legacy game though? Like, do you carry on changes from game to game? So that's what I. That's one of the things that I really like about the game is that it can be played. So the book portion of it 
if you're looking at uh, if you're looking it up online, there's actually two books that'll come with it. There's a book that has like a spiral bind to it, and that is actually the map that you use. And I think I think there's 12 maps. And so what you can do is you can play it in like a campaign mode, or sort of if you maybe want to term the more modern term, I guess would be the legacy sort of way of doing it. But you can start on map one, so you start on like page one, and you complete that entire map. And then when you've done that, you flip it over and you go to map two. And then you can carry your character traits over with you until you've completed all 12 of the maps. The fully difference with, What's that? Is it fully cooperative? Yeah, so you can do it as a co-op or you can do it competitively as well. Oh. So uh, that's what... So, it, that's what I'm saying. There's just so many facets because you can also do an arcade mode where you just go, we're going to pick map map six. We've got three players. We're going to start in town. And then we just, whoever has the highest score at the end wins, right? So it does. it's not in that legacy format where, like, if you play, like, Pandemic Legacy, for example, then you're done. Once you've played it, you can never use the board again kind of thing, right? Whereas this is that you can actually replay, uh, replay the game. And... What makes it kind of neat is that when you replay it the in future times, it's not going to be the same game, because what happens is the there's quests distributed on the map. So as you play, you distribute quests randomly on the map, and those quests are read from a book. So if you land on quest number thirty-seven, and what I would do then as your opponent or your partner is I would pick up the quest and read it to you. And it's like a choose your own adventure and you get to the quest and it'll be like, okay, you've landed here and there is this going on. Do you choose to fight this or do you choose to feed it? And depending on what your choices are, depends on the rewards that you end in the game and what happens and uh, how the story unfolds. So it's got a little bit of a choose your own adventure piece to it. So Every time you play it, it's got a. There's differences that happen as well. Without falling too darn yeah, up, sorry. too far down a hole, is one of the criticisms I've heard of these Lockhack games because similar to Near and Far and Above and Below, and uh, I've got Seafall, not Seafall, uh, Islebound, and okay. that's a totally different experience in terms of it. It's more of a Euro, um, but yeah. One of the criticisms I've heard of these Laocat games is beyond the art and the the sort of attention to the detail and the storytelling. Some of the issues is that the game just isn't quite strong enough itself, so it kind of feels like you're doing a group choosing your own adventure story, like you've kind of uh, mentioned mm-hmm. there. So, do you, is it something that you really can play in the sense of you want to sit down and get a crunchy strategy game out, or is this more of a I don't want to utter the dreaded c word casual, but something that's just relaxing and fun and you know, you pick it up, put it down, everyone walks away just feeling content with themselves? I would put it somewhere in the middle, actually. Um, it's not like a, I don't know, like a like the King of Tokyo where it's like, let's just go crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, On your resume, just, I would say you're not exactly a, a casual board gamer. <laughs> I, I mean, occasionally, like, a, I mean, like I said, I don't mind playing some of the more card-based games. Like, they're really kind of like... Yeah no thanks or for sale or some of those things but for sales um, i really like that i do too actually (laughs) um but yeah i think i would put it somewhere in the middle in that there is definitely a a strategy involved with it Uh, there is if you look online and read some of the forums and stuff about it there seems to be one strategy that favors the other ones and people are listening and curious to what that is it seems (laughs) to be battling the bandits seems to be the strategy because when you battle bandits, the idea of the game ends when one person has played all of their tents. 
So you, mm-hmm. get, you start the game with 14 tenths, and once uh, somebody has played all of their 14 tenths, then the game ends, and then you calculate up the score based on what everybody has done up to that point. And the fastest way to get rid of tenths is by battling bandits, essentially, because you can get rid of two tenths per turn, and anything else you do in the game allows you to only get rid of one tenth per turn. So there's you're kind playing of a... One of these... Oh, sorry, go on. No, let's go ahead. Go ahead, it's fine. Oh, I was just thinking, like, when you're playing one of these, like, if this is a fairly light game, obviously, like, 2.8 out of 5 is what Board Game Geek is giving it, but yeah, it's a light game, it's not heavy on strategy, but yep. you've already figured out more or less, you know, like, attacking the the bandits or fighting the bandits is, is the ideal strategy. When you're playing with people that, you know, are just sitting down, you're having a drink and having fun, how do you separate your sort of, like uber competitive like i've gone in and like mathed out Catan to um to like just playing something really casual like this like is it is there a lot of luck involved where you can kind of separate yourself from that or like that's been a that's been a growing pain that i've had to uh, you and your partner uh, like does she get mad at you when you like take it too seriously or uh no uh it's uh she's actually a very good good one yeah yeah, she's actually a very good uh, board game in her own right. Um, oh, okay. So she has a ver- her personality is very calm and peaceful and relaxing, so she doesn't get upset as a general place, anyways. But in her own right, she's very she's very calculating and strategic um, in what she does. And so when we play together, the games are actually very competitive uh, in that aspect. And I, this maybe sounds silly, and I don't know if other people can relate to this, but for the most part, I've actually I try to choose the environments where I participate in so that I'm not having to select whether I can be competitive or not. I generally choose to like, hey, if I'm going to a games night, um, the guys that I know or the girls that I know that are going to be attending that event are people that are like, no, it's game time and like, don't they're on the level, cry, yeah. Yeah, if you're gonna cry, bring Kleenex because yeah. bad, right? <laughs> 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 right Sensitive well, souls is... don't last long in your circle. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's yeah. a pretty good segue to your to your book. So I'm gonna post it up. So it's called Catan Strategy: How to Win the Popular Board Game. Yeah. So Catan came out, uh, what 1995, I believe. Yeah, I think in '95 it won like. The European game of the year and then 96 I think it was like Canada or North America game of the year or something Yeah, we don't talk about much about Catan but I think that when all of us were kind of like thinking back to the beginning of the Euro you know uh, resurgence and everything and the, the revival of board games Catan was kind of the OG game and I think that was like yeah. the main game that I kind of got back into board games on I played yeah. a lot against my family, and then at a certain point, they decided uh, Robert comes up, we only put it on Joel. <laughs> and at that point, I kind of said, well, this isn't fun for me anymore. And I, I know that Jack played a lot of Car- um, Catan and then also Carcassonne. Mm-hmm. Mostly Carcassonne. Um, I've played Catan three times in my life, I think. Okay. Three times? What? <laughs> How did you get away with that? Uh, so, yeah, just tell us, like, obviously, you've learned enough about Catan to write two books is it this is the second or is this just a re- reprint yeah so uh the book that i initially published a book two years ago um i was challenged uh several years ago i was challenged to 
to write a book and that someone asked uh, someone asked me what I'd write about and I was like I have no idea what I'd write about and then the kind of the old proverb or adage is write what you know and so I sat down and I was like well I know Catan and so I'm going to just start writing about it I didn't see any other books at the time there was nothing else really written about it there was some online articles and some different stuff going on but there was nothing really officially published for it so at that time uh, that's when I decided to put that together um, for that and then uh, yeah I just kind of expanded from there and most recently what I've done was I redid the cover for the book and during COVID there was uh, an opportunity to play a lot of online games and some online communities and online tournaments and, and those types of things and what I found out uh, actually through a podcast through one of the communities that I did um, is that there is a difference between what is called IRL for life and online play and so the <laughs> The new uh, the new release of the book uh, has some extra information in it. So it's got uh, information detailing the difference between IRL and online play. And it has a glossary of some of the terms that have come up that weren't in existence um, as much or as prevalent anyways that are now become like a staple with how the game is played. And so there's a bit of a gloss. There's a a glossary and then just an expansion on some newer tactics that are being employed within the game that again probably weren't being employed uh by very many people uh that difference between irl and online does it mainly come down to the negotiation of of goods or is there also like changes in placement and that kind of thing so there actually is changes in placement that happen uh so the thing that happens so when you play in an online in an online community is the biggest piece right so playing within an online community so i play in an online community where it's separated into two primary divisions it's separated into the premier league uh, and a, a proven competitors league and so hey. for those pardon? <laughs> the premier yeah. league yeah oh, so man. it's you can kind of think about it like if you think if you understand soccer at all it's that same yep. concept so there's 20 players in the Premier League, and then I believe there's another 20 players in the Proven Competitors League. To be able to play in even just the Proven Competitors League, which would be the soccer equivalent of like the championship division, you have to have uh, won something previously. Like you have to have been successful in like a regional qualifier. Like you okay. have to have had some kind of success previously just to get allowed into the Proven Competitor League. And then what happens is like a promotion relegation system. So the the bottom four people in the Premier League each season get demoted down to the proven competitors and the top four players get moved up to the Premier League. And so what happens is when you're playing in a community like that, when you're playing against potentially the similar 20 people every season, your how you play is going to be a little bit different because if I'm just sitting down at the table and maybe it's just the uh, four people in an in real life game at a tournament and who knows where, like, so for example, uh, the fan expo in Toronto, right? So they have a tournament that they're there every year. So if I sit down at the table and play, I could be a complete nasty person to those other people at the table. And I'm probably never going to see them or play a game against them in the rest of my life. Yeah. Wait, right? wait, stop, stop. What's, what's considered nasty in Catan? That's a really good question. Jumping. We're, we're like we are, blocking, right? We are neck deep in 
this this world right now and i feel like we we've jumped from zero to 60 so you gotta you have to do us a favor especially me because my knowledge of Catan is limited to uh the forbidden joke in the fo- one of the forums i uh frequent that will get you banned if you utter it and <laughs> and the and the rest is just placing the robber on the guys ahead who is ahead that's all i know so yeah i mean i personally like when people place the robber on me i don't take it as well, how could you? I mean, if somebody's placing a robber on me, it means I'm doing something, right? So hopefully, right? Unless you're behind, and then you look at them, and go, "What? What am I?" Doing? So it, I actually talk about it in my book. There is a I played. I was playing on average two to three games a day for. There's a oh period my, of my life. God. Yeah. <laughs> this is online, a period, right? Or is this in person? No, this is in person. This is before wow. online. Holy. Yeah. Jesus. Impressive. Yeah. Um, and I was playing with the same group of about 10 people on a, on a regular basis and they the came up with a has rule. To be crazy. Okay. They came, yeah, they came up with a rule, which was basically screw Oxer. And <laughs> I had to basically play the entire game with the robber on my, my land. So, um, arm tied um, behind your but back. But it feels good when you win anyway, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how I felt with my family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to define nasty, it could be, I think it's all up for interpretation, right? So to, I'll, I'll bring you, I'll try to draw you into the world a little bit more, even further. So one of the things that's come out, uh, more recently is the concept of extortion. And so like if having conversations and it's usually done prior to initial settlements being like, if you build over there, then I'm going to build over here and build my road there and I'm going to cut you off. So instead of doing that, why don't you build over there instead, right? So you're okay. trying to extort other people uh, to make them build in certain places or like, hey, this is a really good building spot for you. I'll let you have that building spot and I'll build in the less good building spot. But you have to give me two resources at the start of the game, right? Start and so the there's... Game. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> that there's some kind of... Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, it depends on the. It depends, right? Because there's certain people who use extortion as like a primary method of negotiation, and then there's some people who don't respond to extortion. They're going to be like, okay, well, if that's what you feel like you want to do, then go ahead and build there, and I'm still going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm just not going to be susceptible to your extortion, right? So, some people consider extortion to be nasty i mean is it nasty to have four wheat cards in your hand trade away all four wheat cards for something else and then play them yeah, monthly about week? this yeah so and it's like you're, take you all say, like does anybody have <laughs> does anybody have x right does anybody have rocks or, yeah. or or whatever and then you say okay okay you've got or you've got or okay monopoly so yeah. that's kind of like the low level attack right where like you yeah. you, f- you fish for information and then you yeah. monopoly it and then the higher level one, I think, that people would really hate you for would be the trading away of all that resource <laughs> and like not being bad. Yeah, exactly. So is that nasty or is that just efficient use of a Monopoly card? It depends, right? Like if you're playing <laughs> with with me and Jack or, you know, just your buds, may, they probably would resent you for it. But if you're in the semifinals or something like that, um. I think I think everybody would just kind of respect you for it, right? Yeah. Well, so and that's where I'm saying that's where it makes a difference now. So if you play in an online community with the same or similar 20 people all the time, 
and you're known as that guy that like wants to try to trade away their ore and then monopoly it all back and you've done it a couple times and people don't appreciate it well when you're sitting down now at the same table with the same people on a regular basis they're just going to be like you know what you're a bit of a not nice person to play with so we're just not going to make trades with you right also kind of like like you get to know these people and you know their tendencies and their tells and everything it's like playing poker almost yeah yeah and so whereas if i'm sitting at a table in toronto at fan expo and i'm never going to see these people again if i'm a little bit nasty to them it's not going to affect my life in the future as far as my gameplay goes right did you ever go to gen con I have been to Gen Con 2000, let me think about this, 2009, 2011, 2013, I think were the three years okay. that I was at Gen Con. So my only two points of reference for, you know, like the world of competitive um, board games would be one time I qualified uh, for Pandemic Survival to go to the national finals in Montreal. Nice. And me and my partner went and played national finals or one turn off of going to venice and the nice. prize was you know you you won a trip to anywhere in on the pandemic map right so that was a lot of fun we got like you know t-shirts and whatever but the other thing was that when i when i went to gen con i signed up for the u.s national finals of diplomacy have you ever played mm. this yeah and it was another world. And I think like kind of like seeing how those guys all knew each other and they always played the same, you know, like it was open to sign up for the national finals because only the top players actually qualified for the final tournament, right? And it was yep. basically like you do your best in five years and whatever you get in five years, that's it. Um, but yeah, yeah, like everybody was a lawyer, everybody knew each other and were like knowing each other's tendencies and using people like me who are new to the area to, you know, attack each other, basically using us as pawns and everything like that. Yeah. Is it anything like that in Gatan or is it kind of every man for himself? 100%. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, you, you sit down at the table and... Like, right away, I'll sit down at the table and be like, well, I know that this guy has been the runner-up at the national championships four times, so I need to really be concerned about what he's doing. I'm Adam. And this person over here, I've never seen before in my life. And within the first couple of turns or even in their initial placements, I can generally have a read to tell whether how much threat that I need to be. And If you know he's not that good, maybe you're more willing to trade with him. Absolutely. Okay, well, he doesn't have a chance at beating me, so I might as well... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, again, I'll I'll share some of the stories, like, and this is going to make me sound like a really nasty person. (laughs) No, it's all right. I'm just going to turn the volume a bit on this one here. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, there is a situation I was playing, uh, is a tournament in Edmonton, Alberta. It's called Gobfest. I think it was in 2016. It was a round robin game. And I sat down at the table. Uh, there was two players uh, across, like there was, we were sitting on the, the four players and the person to my left was the person I knew I had to beat. The two people, the other two people at the table, I was like, I'm not worried about them. I know that I could pretty much beat them any day of the week. I just have to beat this guy on my left. And so I proceeded to use my skills, if you will, to engage those other two people to cause the guy to my left's life to be miserable. 
and won the game. And at the end of the game, the guy stood up, threw his chair across the room, and he looked at me and he said, that's the worst game of Catan I've ever played. I'm going home and I'm selling my copy of the game. <laughs> you made him quit? <laughs> you made well, someone quit Catan. In a, like, if he's in a competitive se- setting and he loses and he's going to quit over that, it's just, I mean, it was inevitable, I guess. Well, no, but it's just to articulate the point of, like, using the other players at the table, though, to achieve your means, right? Mm-hmm. And For sure, yeah. So is that nasty? Like, yeah. there's part of me that's like, I don't want somebody to, like, hate the game so much that they're going to go home and sell their copy of the game. But, like, <laughs> I mean... But you're, what you're describing, though, this is something that comes <laughs> up on the show a lot with... with uh... Joel and me is that at least I use it as a short form for it's not tournament Catan it's not tournament this it's not tournament that and yeah I th- what I'm trying to say is usually it's like there's a difference between playing balls the wall I'm going to cut your throat to get ahead because that's what I'm expecting everyone else to do and you know maybe I don't need to like wear a poker face the entire time and quietly do things and take advantage of every mistake and basically play as if my life's depending on this, which I would expect someone in a tournament setting to be doing. Right. If, if, I think we can all agree that if someone has signed up for an official sort of ranking system in which you are, you're, you're tacitly admitting or explicitly admitting that you think you're worth competing to win against other people in a formal setting, that whatever it takes beyond like within the realm of the game's rules That's and the, the yeah. systems around it are, are in play. That, yeah. Now, is it? Are there? This is where it gets into things. Like, is there th- such things as like bad manners in Catan that can cause, like, people that you won, but you were a prick doing it, and nobody likes you for winning versus other people? Or is this just like there's nothing around it? You didn't do anything that could be exp- like determined to be wrong per se that anyone has a beef with beyond the fact that they lost, they weren't happy, and they got to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, there is there is definitely things like that you can do. To be a little like, and I'm just trying to think of like where, so how do you draw that line, right? So there's situations in Catan, and if the, the more familiar with the game, the more the situation will make sense, where on my turn, I could potentially win the game by building a settlement, for example. So maybe I'm at nine points, and I build a settlement, and I've got the resources in hand to build a settlement, and I win the game at by building a last settlement and getting 10. However, I also have the resources in my hand to build two roads, and by building those two roads, I would take longest road. Now, what that does is it puts me at 11 points, which in a tournament doesn't actually count for 11 points. The most you can ever get is 10. But what it does is it takes two points away from my opponent, right? So I could build the settlement. Points you have matter. That's not about winning. It's about the points you end with. What do you mean? What do you mean? Kind of like, like in hockey, when, when like you where finish, you like you still run up get the your clock, score kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, what I'm doing is my my decision it would at that point would be like, well, I'm not just going to take the ten and allow somebody else to get seven, say for example, and keep the longest road. I'll be like, forget that. I'll build my two roads, take the longest road, finish the game with the same ten points that I would get anyways. But now I've reduced you down to five instead of seven, right? And some people say that that's kind of a dick move to do. Um, but else's score is it strategy but or is, is is the score like would they if they held that seven scores possibly beat you in the tournament? Well, I don't. You don't know that until all the round robin games are finished, right? So, and that's part it of why for me, I, on you, right? Yeah. 
So that's yeah. part of why I would say it's strategy because I'm trying to increase my chances of finishing the highest position possible or reduce other person, other people's chances of finishing as high as possible, right? Yep. So that's actually a chapter of my book. It's called The Object of the Game. And the object of the game is to earn as many points as possible while preventing my opponents from earning as many points as possible. All right. So, so you've got this book, Catan Strategy, a complete yep. guide to winning the popular board game. It's available yep. on Kindle. It's available on We'll post Audible, a link to it on the uh, Twitter yeah, account. The and, uh, paper version. It sounds pretty interesting, actually. I think the only other... Uh, like mostly I've read books on board games, like the social aspect of board games, like John Kay's book. Yeah. Um, but I think the only other strategy book I've read is on chess. And I probably read like two or three books on chess. I've never even known Archival. that there was a strategy book on Catan. And I think that's kind of why you wrote it, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I like, I did my best to try to articulate things in a way that would make sense to somebody who is familiar with the game as well as somebody who is maybe a little bit more new and wanting to experience a deeper level in the game. So, um, yeah, I did my best uh, to try to achieve that. Was it difficult writing the book or did you find it came to you naturally? Because I know you've got this other book out and it's, uh, and I think I'm getting an understanding of your psychology based on the two books you've written. Uh, So we start with Catan Strategy in 2019 at least. And then uh, lifting guide in yep. 2020. Uh, writing a book about these sorts of things, these subjects, I guess, can be extremely. Uh, nobody sits down and writes a book about something they don't care about. So obviously, it's something that's close to you. But it, do you find for both these subjects that the writing just comes naturally, or was it something where you had to sit down and you put on your glasses and you're sitting there chewing on your pen and you end up with a comically large pile of crushed like legal paper <laughs> next to you? No, so actually, um, it didn't. It didn't come about that way. It was pretty like I broke it down. Uh, I tried to break the. I tried to figure out how to like uh, how do you. I guess I'm gonna back up here. You're gonna edit that out, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> the, editing, baby. <laughs> the uh, the answer to the question would be how do you eat an elephant? And so the answer uh. is one bite at a time, right? And so what I did was I started and I said, how would I want to build this book? And so my brain came up with the idea of doing chapters 2 to 12 because those are the, the, the number tokens that are in a settler's game. So the book is only chapters number 2 to 12 because that's what the number tokens are in the game of Catan. So then I go, okay, I got this many chapters. What do I have to want to say and how am I going to break it down into each chapter? And then what I did was I started breaking it down into each chapter. And go, okay, this chapter is going to be on trading. This one's going to be on building. This one's going to be on... The psychology this one's going to be on resource value and so i just broke it down to the sort of the aspects of the game that i thought were the most relevant to talk about and then i tried to share a lot about each of those elements using stories from my own life and experiences with the game with regards to the the other book it's actually probably more similar and somewhat even maybe useful to Catan players than People might think. Uh, I think I could think of a couple of reasons personally, but keep going. Well, so the book is titled Preparing for Performance, uh, Plan, Do, and Review. And the idea behind it is that um, nowhere in the book does it actually tell you how to lift at all. So I did that very intentionally. So there's nothing in the book that actually references lifting of any weight in any way, shape, or form, despite uh, the fact sort of being about lifting. 
it's all with regards to psychology. So the first chapter of that book is with regards to like a coach athlete relationship and understanding the sort of psychology of what's happening within a coach athlete relationship. And then using that as a foundation to build on, to go on, talk about other things like goal setting and some of those other pieces and how to warm up properly and those kind of things. And some of the pieces that relate to it are like, obviously the, the psychology that's going to be used um, within that. One of the pieces, and I'll give you guys, nobody else except for my wife knows this. So I'm going to, I'll share something with uh, yourselves and listeners that nobody else knows of is I'm actually in the process of writing another Catan book oh. uh, that incorporates uh, the last couple chapters of my lifting book with regards to... Catan boxes. What's that? Lifting Catan boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I got a heavy Catan box in the mail, actually, the other day. Um, What's that? They, uh, they, $350? Yeah, the... 3D. Yeah, the uh, so uh, no. uh, Catan Canada sent me the the 3D version of the oh, game. Wow. Oh, that's, that's cool. pretty cool, man! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just glad um, you buy it. Yeah. So no, it has to just has to do with uh, reflective practice, and so being very intentional at retrospectively looking at what happened in the course of a game, and then sort of re- looking and saying. If I was faced with those decisions again, would I make the same decision or would I make a different decision? And if so, why? And so just being very intentional about your reflection on what happened within the game. So you can sort of look at it from a sport performance or a board game performance perspective where you're intentionally analyzing your performance to be able to quantifiably improve on it for the next time. Let's go. Oh, sorry. No, no, go please, Joe. It sounds a bit like your piece by pace approach to writing the book is kind of similar to your like piece by piece uh, approach to Catan, where it's uh, you look at like little pieces and then you pile them up into a greater advantage kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you? I just want to give you like one general question based off of tournament play as far as board games go. In yeah. that, like, how would you weigh against each other? Because you've talked a lot about the social aspect of not only like approaching to sport and Catan and all the ways you can sort of like, I don't want to say manipulate people, but like, you know, yeah. convince people to do what you, what you need. Um, <laughs> how would you weigh that against sort of like the, the bits and pieces and the probabilities of these games? Because the two games, one thing that we noticed, the two games that you um, have excelled in Catan and Monopoly are ones that a lot of people associate with luck because of the dice rolling. So I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage you to read the book because I have an entire chapter called "Is It Skill or Is It Luck?" Yeah. Um, and so I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this or not, but there's a um, the movie Rounders with Matt Damon, and he's talking about if it was the luck that they're the luckiest people ever. And he's talking about how the same people make it to the the final world series of poker every year. Right. And I would argue that same thing. If it's luck, then they got to be some of the luckiest people around to have the same people making it to the national championship finals or the world championships every year. Right. So um, there's definitely more. There's poker is another game that's heavily social. So again, like how, how much would you balance if you were going to do percentages social mm. aspect of Catan versus the mechanics. So 
I, so I think I wrote this in my first chapter of the book, and I talk about three different intelligences is how I worded it. So I worded it as social intelligence, emotional intelligence, and cerebral intelligence is how I broke them down. Like and so. I guess by breaking them down into the three, um, maybe I'm articulating it as like a 33% piece. Uh, because I don't think that you can be successful at the game with just two of the pieces. I think you can be moderately successful at the game um, if you have good cerebral intelligence. Like I've played against some very highly intelligent people, uh, like mathematicians and some very highly intelligent people. But when they're lacking on the social and the emotional aspect of the game, uh, it's really hard to be successful because if you can emotionally manipulate somebody, despite the fact that they have high intelligence, you can put them on tilt and make them make decisions that even though they know the mathematical probability is wrong, they're still going to make it just out of pure emotion, right? And so I don't think that you can... One of the reasons why lawyers are so good at diplomacy. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, maybe like maybe I've never actually quantitatively thought of it, but maybe in the way I've articulated it in my writings, maybe it's a thirty-three percent, just a one-third even split. Maybe I'm not sure. Is that I'm, emotional? Gonna... Is that emotional intelligence sort of like discipline? You know, not being like basically defense against that social skill and sticking to your plan. Yeah, I, well, yeah, like if you're familiar with poker, like the term t- tilt, right, is the, yep. like you don't want to play on tilt, right? And so trying to remove your emotion be like, that guy just put the robber on me. That does not make any sense why somebody would do that. And they just pick for me despite the fact that I'm in like last place and this and the other. You could just be like, you know what? Oh, sweet. I just rolled a seven. I am going to put the robber back on him. Just out of spite. Instead of the optimal choice, which would instead be... Instead of what... Yeah, instead of making the optimal choice, yeah. Or whoever has the resource you need. Yeah. Interesting. And you can, you can entice people in doing that. Like, you just a little bit of table talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just starts talking smack, and then they... Well, that's really interesting, and I, I like that philosophy. We are running out of time, and I do want a little bit of time to talk about uh, Disc Golf Park. Yep. So, uh... Before we move on, uh, just jumping back to near and far, what would you rate that? So um, I would rate it, if we're going to rate it, I like the way you guys do different skills and stuff. I'd rate it probably an 8 out of 10 hearts. So hearts are your life points in the game, and I'd give it an 8 out of 10 hearts. I know that it maybe doesn't have that quite of high of a rating on Board Game Geek, but uh, I like it for the fact that it has various play options it has replayability has good artwork it does have strategy to it um and so i I would give it a solid eight out of ten seeing it around you know i always see in the game cafe and in the shop i've never played one of these series but maybe i'll give it a try i do like the quality of those metal coins too i don't know if those (laughs) come standard But uh, quickly, um, so you have been playing disc golf since, what, 2017, 18? Yeah, about that, yeah. yeah. And somehow yeah. you got involved with uh, a company which is, is Discmanius out of Finland, is that right? Yeah. So you got involved with a company out of Finland who's kind of expanded their, um, I don't know, their, their uh, sort of proficiency for making courses i'm gonna say because what finland has what 800 courses yeah they have uh, might even be more now they have 
more courses, I think, per capita than anywhere in the world. Yeah, it's absolute madness. And I think there are some of the best courses in the world as well. Yeah. Uh, so how do you get involved, obviously, with disc golf, with Jeff and Kara here in Ontario, and with yeah. Disc Mania? Yeah, so uh, maybe to no surprise, I've tried to be uh, as competitive in athletic endeavors as much as possible throughout my life. And I incurred a quite significant knee injury that prevented me from being able to engage in sport the way I would like to. And I had a few discs laying around and a buddy of mine just kind of said like, Hey, you want to go and play some disc golf one day? And I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. We'll go throw and uh, went and played at a local course in Winnipeg and was like, Oh man, that was actually really fun. And I was like, well, phones me up the next day. Hey, you want to go play disc golf? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Let's go play disc golf again. We finished playing, and then that's maybe where I was like, I wonder if there's like scorecards online. Like, can I print off a bunch of scorecards and see how my score improves over the course of the summer? Was was UDISC already a thing? It was, but I didn't know until UDISC until about like three months into my disc golf adventure, and I was keeping track. I have piles of scorecards all over the place. <laughs> um, yeah, and then so we uh, yeah got into UDISC and played in my first. I think I played two tournaments in my my first season playing. Like I think there were yeah, there's two tournaments I played in my first year. Um, and then just kind of like, open part of the 2018 yeah. mods fall classic. Yeah, the Portage Perry Open and the Fall Classic. Yeah, and you got so, second place in one of your first two tournaments. Yeah, I got second place in Rec Division in my first ever oh. tournament. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Speaking of someone whose best placing was ever ever was sixth place in MA3, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was a playoff, and I won the playoff actually, and so that was uh, that was a quite memorable experience. And so that was my introduction to disc golf, and then um, just wanting to continue to work in the sport, I actually ended up so I played in the Mods Fall Classic. I think what it was in there, 2018. If you're looking on my PDGA profile. I actually ended up TDing the Monsfall Classic and I believe it was 2019 or 2020. And at the time, it was the largest event that uh, Manitoba had ever hosted. We had um, we were, had worked together with a co-tournament director and we hosted, I think, like I said, it was the largest event at the time in Manitoba. They've since broken that record. but uh, And then it just kind of exploded from there, like running putting leagues and just really trying to build into the transition from schools. You yeah. pretty quickly transitioned from player to organizer and developer kind of thing. Yeah. And so just from that perspective, um, uh, word of mouth just got around saying like, who's kind of a mover and shaker in the area. And I got connected to top link disc golf, who is uh, one of the main distributors for out of Barry, I think. Yeah, uh, main distributor for disc golf in Canada. And then through the, the time that I spent getting connected to Toplink, uh, they obviously they were they were looking for other movers and shakers across Canada. And that's where they were able to connect with uh, guys and girls like Jeff and Kara and Clayton and Matt and Ben, um, who and then uh, the the owner of Toplink, Ryan, kind of brought us together and said, hey, like, you guys are all doing really cool stuff in your regions of Canada. Like, why don't we sit down together and 
uh, like come up with like a strategy on how we can best attack sort of Canada collectively instead of doing everybody kind of doing their own thing. And we were able to forge a partnership with uh, Disc Golf Park to be able to do that and uh, formally be able to start building official disc golf park courses in Canada as a as a team and working together with bringing baskets over and all that kind of fun stuff. So yeah, it's been a it's been a journey over the last really really awesome to get to connected with. just to connect with them like on a weekly call that we have together as a team just to discuss what's going on in canada with disc golf and all the stuff that's going on uh it's just been really really positive everybody brings something to the table as part of our team jeff and kara have a lot of experience in like the business world and they're bringing that to disc golf and are absolutely knocking out the park and are doing things for the sport in very professional ways in very strategic ways to help communities get courses into the ground uh and it's just really really awesome to to be able to be part of that for jack's reference and also probably our listeners who don't have any clue uh so jeff and kara mckeegan are sort of like the course designers here in ontario and also they work in quebec they um all right, their first claim to fame, fame was beaches in 2018, which is like right on the coast of uh, Lake Ontario there in Toronto. It was a very easy course, but like the, I think he had to, uh, you know, like negotiate with the city for a long time in order to get it in. And then when he did, he, he put all his own money into it to build beaches. And then uh, from there, obviously, this last week and the week before, they opened up Scarlet Woods here in Toronto, as well as one in the in the east. I think it's Dentonia. So they've got maybe three courses under the belt. We've got just a few minutes left, but why don't you tell us what you've been up to over in Alberta in comparison with Jeff and Kara? Have you got three courses down? How many courses have you built over there so far? Yeah, so uh, Jeff and Kara are rock stars. <laughs> And I mean this in the most polite way possible, but they're making the rest of us look a little bit bad. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> uh, they are absolutely doing an amazing job. Um, and like I said, it's just it's a real pleasure to be on and be able to be part of a team with them. So out here in Alberta, um, Matt uh, Riordan actually does a lot of the stuff out, he, out in Alberta. Uh, he's very good at the course design. He's got a real good eye for the, some of the stuff that happens. Uh, where I take... My sort of piece of the puzzle, uh, and I think this is why we are so successful, is that we all sort of work to our strengths and kind of stay in our own lanes, but encourage each other as much as possible, is that uh, I work on a Canadian Forces base uh, as my full-time job, and I'm able to then connect to other Canadian Forces bases to be able to work to get baskets in the ground from that perspective, and so we're able to partner together with some of the initiatives that happen with the Canadian Armed Forces, like support our troops and soldier on uh, that help with both physical and mental wellness uh, and that disc golf is able to be a part of that. And so I'm able to connect with uh, the base that I'm on as well as other bases across uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, 
uh, to be able to get courses in the ground. So there's a disc golf park, or sorry, I can't say it. it's not an official disc golf park course, but there are disc golf park Secret baskets. Secret course. Yeah, there's a disc golf, there's disc golf park. Disc golf. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there's disc golf park baskets um, on 17 Wing Air Force Base in Winnipeg, and um, there's more. Do you have any in Quebec City? Uh, not that I am aware of. I don't do much personally with the stuff in Quebec. Uh, if I was to connect with the guys or girls in Quebec, then I would, uh, I would connect with the personnel that are out there. Just ask me that there's a, I have a friend serving and training people in that base. And I was just wondering okay. if he had a course access to a course. Yeah. I mean, each base is independent. Um, yeah. and so, um, it totally depends on what the base is doing and, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm fortunate enough to be able to connect into the communities that way. The other area where I've sort of worked, my area of specialty is from an educational perspective. And so working on building and developing content from an educational perspective for the sport, and then being able to partner it with some of the initiatives that like Jeff and Kara are doing. So like they're interested in working together with like the uh, Toronto District School Board, for example. And then what I would do is they would put together a package for baskets and course design. And then I would put together uh, some educational content on uh, how the, the sport of disc golf could be delivered in uh, educational environment uh, as well. And so then we partnered together and put a package together for like the Toronto district school board and said, here's your baskets, here's your course, here's your educational material. Second. You guys can now knock. And then we partner obviously with top link and, and the, and the Ryan there and here's your discs from Discmania. Now you guys have the full package. There's no excuses why you guys aren't killing it kind of thing, right? So, yeah, it's yeah. really exciting to see everything uh, you and Disc Golf Park are doing here. I think like it's, they've only been like a, a positive influence as far as I've seen. Uh, last question before you go: Have you met Juicy? Is that how you pronounce his name, Juicy? Juicy. <laughs> I have not. I've uh, I have not met him yet. Um, I'm just trying to think if I've been on any, I think I was on a video chat with him. Uh, there was a group of us on a video chat uh, with UC, oh, but I've never yeah. met him in person. Uh, but that's still to come hopefully one day. He's got uh, kind of a contagious enthusiasm himself, eh? Just kind of like Jeff. Yeah, very much so. Very yeah. much so. I'm working yeah. with Ontario Parks a little bit, and I told Jeff I would try. I don't know. We're kind of a third party but i would try to get uh kara meeting with them we'll see because i know they really want to work with conservation areas and parks as well yeah for sure yeah i i've spun the opposite direction i'm so disgusted by joel's obsession with disc golf i'm actually i'm actually undermining disc golf courses and trying to take it away so i'm just i'm i'm john lithgow in uh, footloose or uh the the country club and the goonies so that's that's me right now but I, I guess, think that's a good uh, place to end it, as yeah. any. And I feel like we could have talked for another hour because we didn't even touch really the ins and outs of Monopoly or the specific strategies of Catan. But hopefully we can have you on another time and you can also relay to us uh, the latest um, fist fight you started at Catan tournament because you <laughs> incited people <laughs> using your Bush League psycho stuff. <laughs> But uh, it's this has been a fantastic conversation, Mark, and hopefully we can have you on again. And thank you, Joel, for uh, arranging the the interview. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. And if there is again another opportunity to come back, I would more than be happy to spend time with you guys. It's been a pleasure. 
Great. Well, we'll uh, maybe I'll ask if uh, we can try to... I'll, you know what? I'll just throw up your, your contact information that's publicly available. And if anyone wants to yeah. reach out to you, they can do so. And we'll also shill your book for you because uh, from the sound of things, it's... Uh, like, I really want to read it, so <laughs> maybe I can <laughs> learn how to win Catan. As opposed <laughs> to uh, just losing Catan by getting too drunk and leaving. But that's good. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you very much, Mark. It was great to have you on. Thank you. All right, and we're out. Great. Uh, seriously, though, this was a great chat. And uh, even though the, the disc golf stuff is a little outside my frame of reference, it was uh, extremely engaging overall. So thank you. Yeah, no, it was, it was good. Uh, if they, Like I said, if there's you guys are interested in uh, another show sometime, I'd be more than happy to connect with you guys. Outstanding. Yeah. So hopefully you can get there's you're not too late for your meeting. I guess you've got five minutes, so you're in good shape. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll be in touch. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye.